What's up, everybody? How are we doing? Hey, everybody at home, it's great to see you as well. I know we're kind of figuring out uh, January 2020. Surprise, still going. So thanks for uh, doing what you need to do to be a part of uh, worshiping today with us and connecting with the church. So, I'm so glad that in the past couple of years, we've been able to uh, connect, even though some people can't be in the room, we can still connect with them. What a, what a blessing to live in a time like today amid all the stuff that's going on. So um, just to, I appreciate that. And um, I appreciate you guys. Wow, 100,000 meals, $55,000. That's incredible. I feel like one more time, we just need to say thank you, God, for just all of that. It's really cool. Really cool. But hey, um, have you ever have you ever been wrong? <laughs> Did you? Someone said no. <laughs> Give me thirty minutes. All right. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I don't mean like, have you ever been wrong, like someone did something wrong to you, but have, have you ever like believed something only to like find out that maybe after you've lived a little bit longer, you've seen it from a different perspective and you, well, the, the words are you've changed your mind about something. Changing your mind, it's one of the hardest things to do today. Uh, it's, it's one of the most shunned activities. Politicians aren't allowed to change their mind. They're never allowed to apologize. Uh, your parents probably never changed their mind about their decisions when you were growing up. They probably never apologized. Uh, it's really hard for us to change our mind online if the comment section you've ever, like I've never seen anybody be like, oh, you're right, you changed my mind. Never, never seen that. But, uh, you know, we've changed our mind on a daily basis about many things. We're actually a people who change our mind constantly. Um, changing our mind can sometimes be just the result of more experience and more uh, expertise and more examination. Sometimes changing your mind can be like a really good thing. Like, you know, the 10-year the hashtag, 10-year challenge is going on around Facebook, and I didn't do one because I got a, a picture of me from 16 years ago that I want to show. Like, like, this guy right here needed this girl to change her mind about him because he started in the wrong place 16 years ago. So guys, now, do you know what I'm saying? Like, changing your mind can be a good thing, right? Get that down. That's a really embarrassing picture, although not the most embarrassing picture. Um, uh, you know, sometimes we change our mind about food, which is really good for my four-year-old and my six-year-old because they really need to change their mind about some food. Uh, they will only eat chips and chicken. I don't get it. Uh, we put a steak in front of one of my kids once, and he was like, no, thank you. And I was like, thank you very much. Um, sometimes you change. Over Christmas break, you guys, I found out that um, pepperoni and hot honey is the best pizza. So I found that out. I changed my mind. Now that you heard it from here, you'll go to Spin Pizza, and you'll try it too, and it's delicious. Uh, over Christmas break, I also changed my mind about something. You want to know what I changed my mind about? Really important. I changed my mind about the fact that Die Hard actually is a Christmas movie. Now, to be fair, I used to say that, but just as a joke, because I was like, oh, yeah, it's funny, because, you know, ho, 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 yippee ki all that stuff. And, uh, and then I, I, like, revisited it, I watched it again, and I was like, oh, my goodness, there's Christmas carols, and it's at Christmas, it's about a dad trying to get home at Christmas time, and, like, the guy says, ho, 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 like, I said, it's a Christmas movie. I changed, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. You know, we change our mind about a lot of things. We change our mind based upon the experiences that we've had and further examination, I don't know um, if you had this experience back in the 90s trying to convince one of your parents to try online banking. Over Christmas break, this literally happened to me. My father-in-law tried to get me to buy crypto. I don't know how it goes for someone who rejected online banking in the 90s to then in 2022 say, hey, really, there's this thing called crypto, Bitcoin, you should get some, Dan. 
How is it possible that somebody who might have been resistant to something at one point in their life all of a sudden becomes a believer and all of a sudden starts like propagating or talking about or, or spreading this, this belief that they have or this conviction they have about this thing? It happens because we all experience life differently. We all assess and reassess and are constantly in this process of challenging what we know to be true. Like there was a moment yesterday in the Chiefs game where you reassessed your relationship with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you were like, I don't, is he the guy to do this? I don't know, you know? You, on an annual basis, reassess your 401k investment strategy. You reassess your job performance. You reassess a lot of things in life. We are always doing this. But here's a question for you. How do you reassess your beliefs? Hmm. Yeah. Even your beliefs about God. Did you feel that thing happen in your heart when I asked you that question, kind of like the stakes got a little bit higher? For, for a lot of us, we haven't reassessed the beliefs that we have about God for a very, very long time. For some of us, we received faith as a kid in church and we were taught to believe certain things about God. A lot of the stuff that we just finished singing about, right? Like, like, like we've got a God who is big and he'll never let us down and he's always gonna be there. And I remember growing up in church, I was told that God is a God who takes little Davids and helps them slay big Goliaths. And he tells his people, Israel, who are backed up against the Red Sea and when they're, they're up against the wall, he's gonna divide the wall and let you walk through it so that you're not gonna be harmed. He's a God who, if you're on his side, nothing can stop you. And, and like as a kid, with the faith of a kid, I was like, yes, this is amazing. Let's go take the world, right? But then you, you grow a little bit and you live a little bit of life and you find out that the circumstances of your life don't necessarily tell the same story of what you learned as a kid. In fact, you find out that maybe your faith as a child hasn't grown with you into adulthood. And so what do you do? when you have doubts. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. Because for many of us, we grew up in an environment where you couldn't have doubts. You're just told, this is what's true about God. Believe it, take it, and will yourself to it. And some of us, if we're being really honest, we haven't ever gone all in with God because there's a doubt in our heart that for some reason we can't shake it in our soul. We, we don't know if, if, if God could ever overcome this one thing and just give us this one answer, just help us with this one piece of, of knowing about who he is or who we are or what the world is or why it's like this. And there's this one little doubt that keeps us from going all in with God. And, and we would go all in if only we could overcome this doubt, but we don't know what to do with our doubt. What do you do with the doubt that you have? Well, that's a great question for us. And we're going to answer some of those ideas and talk about some of this about doubt over the next couple of weeks because on our journey, this is what we know, on our journey to Jesus and on our journey with Jesus, you will experience doubt. So what do we do? One of the moments of Jesus' life that I think is so helpful for us, you know, I'm a pastor, so it's no surprise that I'm going to go to the Bible to help us with this question. But, but, but Mark chapter 9 has this one moment of Jesus' life. You could kind of open in your app or, or have you got a physical Bible that you brought with us? It's great. The one, one person that still does that. Um, open it in Mark chapter 9. And, and I want to just walk us through this one story because it has something profound to teach us about the doubts that we experience today. Um, Jesus has just 
been alone on a mountain with three of his closest followers and, and they return down the mountain to, um, to find this group of people at the bottom of the mountain in a fight. Like a, an all-out online comment section type war at the bottom of the mountain. There's this big argument and Jesus walks into the middle of it and as he walks into the middle of it, he finds out that it's his own disciples who are at the middle of this controversy. Some things in life don't change, right? And so Jesus comes and he sees his, his people are fighting with these other religious people. And he's calling quite, quite a scene. And he asks them this question. He says, what are you guys fighting about? And, and here's where we're going to pick it up in verse 17. From, from the side, uh, a man said in the, in the crowd, he answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Now, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, now let me just be really clear, because um, for some of us in this room, the reason that you've never given God like a fair shake and the reason that you don't trust the Bible is because of things like this. Which, which, like, we read this description of, like, you know, this guy thinks that his son's got a spirit, and that's different for us, but, but, but he says it seizes him, throws him to the ground, foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. And, and we actually, in 2022, know what this is called. This is called an epileptic seizure. And, and for some of us, the doubt that we experience in our life is just simply because we look at the ancients and we say, look at those like, such simple-minded people. Like if only they had a little bit more medical understanding, they'd be able to explain away some of the things that happened in, in the world. If they have more understanding, they'd be able to have a higher quality of life. They don't need Jesus for this. They just need a better doctor. For some of us, that's, that's kind of what prevents us. But here's what, I want you to kind of just hold on to that for a second because here's what I want us to see. Um, um, Jesus is, is coming here and this is what's happening. His dad is bringing his son and his disciples could not drive out the spirit. Something prevented them from doing the work in Jesus' name that, they, that he expected them to be able to do. And so Jesus, looking at them all, says, well, where's the boy? Bring him to me. And so they bring the boy to him. And then the boy, actually, as he gets closer, Mark records that the spirit inside of him revolt, re repulsed himself at the sight of Jesus, that it threw himself into a seizure right at Jesus' feet. And look at what Jesus asked. He, he asked this. He says, um, how long has he been like this? I mean, I, I, this is a, quite a, a, a statement of understanding from Jesus, a question to ask this father, like, man, this seems like, a tough situation. How long have you been having to, as a dad, take care of your son? And the, the dad says, well, it's from childhood. Like from the, from the moment uh, that he was a little boy. It has often thrown him into the fire or into water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Did you catch that moment of doubt here in this father's well-meaning plea to Jesus? Jesus caught it. He said, um, he repeats it. He said, if you can, said Jesus. Let me translate this for you because I know sometimes we get lost in like the, 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 the old speak of the Bible. So this is, um, if we were to translate the Bible today, this is what Jesus would be saying. <laughs> like if, <laughs> excuse me? Um, we we kind of get this idea that Jesus is like um, a little put off by this guy's doubt. If you can. Well, what do you mean if I can? You know, I had this friend in college who we learned the key to motivating him was to tell him that he couldn't do something and then he couldn't not do the thing. Like his drive to prove us wrong was always like, we were like, Andy, you can't 
You can't do this. And he'd be like, oh, uh, and he'd go do it. And that's not what's happening here with this father. This is not some sort of reverse psychology that he's trying to play on Jesus. He is, he is simply a father at the end of his rope trying to get some help for his kids. And in this moment, in this particular moment, out of him comes this unconscious doubt that surfaces to the voice and gives voice to it. And Jesus hangs on to it. And he says to the, to the dad, if you can, do, do you hear what you just said to me? If you can. Jesus makes conscious that doubt which was subconscious. And we don't criticize this dad. No, you and I have all of our own if you can moments in our life, don't we? We've all had moments where we've looked up at God and we've said, God, if you can, I really would need some help right here. That's the root of our doubt, isn't it? If God, you can. And I, I don't want to overgeneralize uh, today. I know we got all come to faith from different experiences. We all come to God with different situations. So at the risk of overgeneralizing, I actually think that this story is really instructive for us to understand our own doubts. If you want to talk about doubt, if you want to actually grow in your faith and understand the doubts that you have, we've got to know a little bit about where our doubts come from and how they surface in us. And I think this story has just shown us a couple principles of how doubt surfaces in every one of our hearts. And, and I, I wanted to show us this. Um, the first is this, is that doubts surface in a crisis. Doubts surface in a crisis. Our doubts tend to surface in a, in a crisis. And here's what I know about me. I rarely doubt the goodness of God when I put the key of my car in the ignition and turn it and it turns on right away. I've never doubted the goodness of God when I've looked at my dashboard and the tank was full and the temperature gauge is right in the middle and my RPMs are idling nicely and most importantly, that check engine light was not on, praise God. I don't know if you know anything about my car history, but I've had that check engine light on way more miles than I've driven without it on. <laughs> but when that thing goes on, when, when there's something wrong in the engine, I, for whatever reason, look up at heaven and I curse God. I go, God, why? Why today of all days? Does this thing have, right? In the normal, predictable, reliable situations of life, no doubt. But whenever one little thing gets twisted, it's all of a sudden like frenetic. What is happening? I ask deeper questions than I ever, ever knew I had. You see, this, this father here in, John, in Mark chapter 9, um, he, he came to Jesus and his life was anything but predictable or good. No, his, his son was, was hurting. Years of epileptic seizures had put his son into this life-threatening situation where maybe he would have caught his cloak on fire if he fell down in the living room next to the fireplace and he had a seizure right next to him. Someone would have to be there to actually put him out or if he was walking along the side of a river and then this thing overtook him, he might have fallen and, and, and drowned if someone wasn't there. And so for years, this dad would be on high alert. He was living in the midst of a crisis where nothing was predictable. Just a couple of years ago, one of my good friends uh, found out that his son, who was just turning 10, 11 years old, was prone to epilepsy. And he told me one of the hardest things for him was sleeping at night as a dad. Because he, he never felt like he could truly get a good night's sleep because he had always had to be somewhat alert in case something happened with his son. He could be there to help him in the midst of that moment. This dad had lived for a long time in the midst of a crisis. A crisis will surface our doubts about God. It'll make us ask questions that we haven't considered. 
And I know this is true about us as a society. I read a statistic last week that said the, the church attendance was the highest it's ever been. Do you know when? March of the year 2020. Isn't that crazy? We all were locked down in the midst of our own pandemic, and yet people tuned in to church in record numbers. Why? Because crises will have a way of having us ask questions about God. The same article went on to say that not for 20 years prior has attendance at church been so high, and the reason was because the week after 9-11 happened, people returned to church, asking questions, bringing doubts, asking God, we're struggling, so if you can, would you help us? I don't know if you're in a crisis today. For this father, it was a health crisis for his son, but maybe it's a marriage crisis that you're in, or maybe you're looking at some of the larger scope of the world, and you realize that we, we are in a crisis today, and, and, and you've got something going on, and you've asked God, God, can you help me, if you can? So, so doubts surface when we're in a crisis, but I, here's the second thing I want us to see. Doubts surface, doubts surface when we can't. They surface when we can't, when we don't lack the power to fix the thing that's broken. This dad brings his son to Jesus because he's tried everything else. He brings him to Jesus, he finds his disciples, and, and, and even when he finds his disciples, his disciples can't. And in the midst of him saying, Jesus, if you can, would you have pity on us? It's because his disciples couldn't. Sometimes in my life, I've wanted God to show up in the places of promise. Places like his church <laughs> and his people. And there have been some moments where, I'll tell you, my doubt has surfaced. And I had a need in my heart, my, my life, that I couldn't necessarily meet. And someone else found out about it from the church. And they stepped in to help me out. And you know what happened in that moment? My faith actually grew because of what they did for me. Here's one really petty example. Um, I, Kristen and I moved here back in July of 2021. And um, we moved from Chicagoland. And, and, and in July, I sold my house and I was packing it up. And um, I stopped cutting my grass, because it had ceased to become my grass. You know what I mean? Like, why would, why would I cut grass that someone else is going to cut it? I just, and so I sold my lawnmower like a month before I moved, thinking that in July the grass doesn't actually grow in Chicago, which is historically true, but for whatever reason it grew like 12 inches in July. And I remember being just so stressed out because I was like moving boxes and trying to arrange meetings and doing things and trying to keep the house somewhat looking. But I, I realized by the time we were about to move, like we were almost out of code. And um, I had a friend from my church who realized how much stress this was putting over me that I just couldn't even take care of my yard because I'd sold the tools and I just didn't have the time. And without even asking, he just one day showed up with his lawnmower and just started cutting it without even saying hi. He was just outside cutting my grass. And I remember looking up at God. He, he said to me, he goes, Dan, I think God wants me to do this for you. I remember looking up at God and being like, wow, I couldn't, but you sent him to do that. That's incredible. You know, I think on a much bigger scale about this 100,000 food uh, packing event that we just did as a church, as that, those, that food is in route right now with Solomon, which is really exciting. It's going to land here in the next couple of hours, and Solomon's going to have a chance to start getting it on its way to the village in Ethiopia where it's going to end up. And... Um, I think about the people who are in the midst of a crisis right now. 
where, where they can't literally find the food. And my prayer for them is that as they receive food from other people who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, that they would have the same sort of like, wow, God, you used them to encourage my faith. And I hope that it's a faith-building thing for people on the other side of the world to know how good God is, that a community of Jesus followers would help in their need when they couldn't. But, but here's, here, here's what we know. Sometimes problems in our life are so big, so complicated. Sometimes um, the problems we face are way beyond our capacities. And I find that my doubt increases in places when, humanly speaking, we've tried everything. This past week, um, a really sweet lady that I knew from my previous community, she texted me to tell me that it's been three years since her husband passed. And when I got that text, I was immediately back in the hospital room around the bed where her, I mean, for all lack of better words, studly husband who used to bike 30 miles a day and was a police chief and was just a beloved member of our community, so strong, was lying there with nothing that they could do for him. I remember walking into the room and there were pastors from a bunch of different churches and I kind of had this thought of like, gosh, if God's got to heal anybody, it's got to be this guy. I mean, look at how many people around him praying for him. And so we, we stood in that room, we prayed, we said, God, we, we would love for you to give this guy his health back. And we couldn't do anything about it. And the doctors couldn't do anything about it. And we lost a really great guy. And we looked up and we said, God, if you can. And I think that brings us to the ultimate point of doubt. And the doubt surfaces, not just in the middle of a crisis and not just when we can't, but doubt surfaces when God hasn't done it yet. Like when we know he can, but he just hasn't. I don't know about you, but maybe you've been in a situation where you've been like, God, I so believe in you, but it seems like you're really delaying on this, and it's got me questioning things, and I don't even know, like, 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 where are you right now, God? Back in the story, there's this moment with Jesus and the father of the son where Jesus looks at, at the father, and he says, um, he says this. He says, how long has the child been like this? And in fact, if you look at the text a little bit closer, he asks the question, how long, three times. He says, how long has this boy been like this? And then he says, since childhood. And then Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, how long must I be with you? How, much, how long must I stay among you? And to our maybe Western ears today, it sounds like Jesus is just shaming these people for not having faith. But there's something else actually way more compassionate going on here. Jesus isn't laughing at the people. He's lamenting with them. And I think this is really important because in moments of our life when God hasn't done the thing, we, we tend to think that if I just have more faith, God's got to do it. As if that was like the main point. Like, like if I just was a little bit able to be just a little bit more strong in my faith, God would have to heal or you have to meet or you have to do the thing. And in the midst of that, I think Jesus picks up this theme of how long must this go on? And he laments with this dad. L lament, it's just the biblical word. It's a, it's a, it's a church word. That just simply means to tell God the truth about how bad you feel. Because he can handle it. Actually, I think Jesus is invoking, he repeats it three times, but in another place of the Bible, it's repeated four times. Psalm chapter 13, David, the, the mighty king of Israel, you know, maybe you heard about David growing up, but David writes this psalm, and it doesn't really sound like a psalm of a great king or someone who had a lot of faith in doubt. It sounds like a doubter. 
He says, how long, Lord? That's how it starts. <laughs> you ever been there where you're like, God, how long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long, that's the third time, must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? This doesn't sound like the faith of a saint. It sounds like the songs of a doubter. But here's, here's what we know about doubt. Here's what we know about ourselves. Here's where we're all in this together, right? The reason we ask the question, how long, is because you and I, I mean, we're not a type of church that like says amen after the preacher says something, but if we were, now would be that moment. No, 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 no. I didn't even say anything yet. Come on, guys. You're all like, yeah, you're right. Amen. We don't amen. How's that? No, no, no. Listen, listen. Why do we ask the how long question in the midst of our doubts? It's because of this. It's because we are eternally impatient beings. I mean, it's, it's January 9th. And some of us in this room have already cut off the diet. Some of us have paid for the gym and already stopped going. Why? Because we haven't seen the results that we wanted so quickly. And, and, and when, when a crisis in life comes at us and we want God to move, we want him to move at the metronome of our clock, which we just want to be able to click it up a little bit and tell God, look, a little bit faster, a little bit faster. I'd love it if you give me an answer right now. That'd be really, really, really good. And God's just back there going like, nope. Here's my time. <laughs> and so we go, God, how long? And we look up at him and we say, well, it seems like you haven't, so we don't know if you can. Let's finish the story out because Jesus does something incredible. He knows the power of God and he knows the doubt inside this guy's heart and he calls it out to the sub, to, from the subconscious level to the conscious level and look at how this, how this ends. He says this, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. It's an interesting statement. Maybe we'll talk about that some other day. But immediately the boy's father exclaimed, say this with me, would you guys? I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I think that's one of the most honest and humble statements that any Jesus follower anywhere could ever say. I do believe. Would you help me overcome my unbelief? It, it kind of shows us. God, God, help my unbelief. It shows us that as faith rises within us, so does this other thing that we're not so sure what to do with, which is doubt. That, that faith and, and unbelief are not necessarily like you know, mutually exclusive systems that the more you grow in faith, the less you grow in doubt. But for some reason, the more you grow in faith, the more you grow in doubt too. We're gonna talk about that in the coming weeks, but, but, but here, here's, here's the point is that this, I believe, help my unbelief prayer that this father says to Jesus is actually indicative of the fact that faith and doubt go hand to hand, which means you and I, everyone in this room, cannot be surprised at the moments in our life when we have unbelief. There is nothing wrong with you in those moments where you question God. In fact, I would say this, is that you are stunting your spiritual growth, the growth of your faith, if you just suppress your doubts. That's not to say that your doubts are everything. No, I actually think we, we're going to talk about this in the future, but you should doubt your doubts. We're going to talk about that next week. 
But as you grow in your faith, there's going to be things that you understand and you learn about and you understand like, God, I just really don't know if this is totally true. Uh, there's a legendary story about this professor who was in his 70s teaching at one of the most accredited uh, Christian institutions. And he made the statement once, A.J. Svoboda, who we're going to invite to Heartland here in a couple of weeks, and Brad Herndon's going to have a chance to talk with him. He's an author and a philosopher and a professor. He, he said this, that um, he heard this professor say, after being in, in the church world, having faith for so many years, he said, as I stand here today, I am more convinced that 80% of what I know about God might be wrong. Because as you grow in faith, you realize that God is this inexhaustible well that we can't comprehend. So we have to pray this prayer, God, I believe, but would you help me in my unbelief? In these moments where I don't really know how to put all the pieces together, I've got bits of faith that I know, but there's other stuff that I don't understand. So would you, would you help me? Would you help me? And, and here's the thing about all of us. We all have our doubts. And the best thing that we could do with our doubts is to do simply what the father in the story does. He brings his doubts to Jesus. He doesn't suppress them. He doesn't just wholesale believe his doubts. He voices them. He says, Jesus, you're right, I do believe. But there's parts of me that don't. And so would you, instead of me just throwing the whole thing out or just trying to suppress it, would you help me in my areas of unbelief? And Jesus welcomes doubters. Isn't that good news? I mean, I thought I'd hear a little bit more back from you on that one. <laughs> Isn't it good news that, that you don't have to know every single thing about God for him to welcome you? That you can actually ask him your questions about himself? I mean, if, if David, King David can, can say, God, you've left me on this rock to die by myself. How long, how long, how long, how long? Certainly, he can, he can take it from you when you're like, God, I don't know if that's true. Would you help me know if that's true? You see, the thing that Jesus, is promise, Jesus promises is his help. And the way that he helps this father in this day is actually to heal his son. Which, which brings me, I think, to the last thing about doubt. Because sometimes, you know, my, my doubts rise in a crisis and sometimes they rise when I can't fix the thing and, and then when God hasn't fixed the thing. But you know, what's, you know what's crazy? Sometimes God will do the thing and I still doubt. <laughs> right? What we don't get at the end of the story is the father saying, I see it perfectly now. I've had an epiphany. I'm cleansed of my doubts. I actually think this dad walked away with his son under his arm and kept checking on him habitually. Kept waking up in the middle of the night wondering if his son was actually cured. Kept telling his son, no, no, stay away from the water. No, stay, stay away from the fire. Because I think it's so hard for us to actually accept the moments. The hardest thing for us to accept the moments is when God actually does the miracle. It could be the thing that causes us to doubt the most. And I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to be like the professional faith guy, right? Like you get paid to like tell us about God. And, and yet this week I had two moments of, of miracles that confronted me that I had complete doubts about. First came when one of my friends from a, a graduate program that I was a part of years ago, sent us a Christmas card. And on the Christmas card, he said, you know, my wife and I for the past seven, eight years have been trying to have a child. And we were told by all the professionals in Chicago that it would never happen. And yet this year, God gave us our miracle. 
And their Christmas card was a picture of their little daughter in her crib with her face illuminated by the glow of the Christmas tree. It was the most precious thing. And I remember holding this, and I know their story, and I've prayed for them before, and I haven't been that far into this with them. And I remember holding that going like, yeah, or it could have been something else. I don't know why I doubted in the moment of like, yeah, it's so hard for me to say, yes, wow, look what God did. Second moment of miracle that I experienced this past week was um, there's a lady in our church who had been in a hospital and in rehab care centers for weeks, months, and her husband had been dutifully taking care of her and walking with her. She had a very hard case of COVID that turned sideways on her. And there was a moment where he and I prayed here in this building on the day when I kind of thought like, this is it, this is the end. And he asked, he looked, at, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, Dan, will you pray for a miracle? And I, I said, of course I'm going to pray for a miracle. And, and you know what? In my heart, I was like, I, it was one of those God, if you can moments. And God did. She got discharged this past week and is now home where she is thriving and succeeding and her husband is taking care of her and her doctors told her, we don't know how this is possible because you are the miracle patient everyone writes books about. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, but is that God or is that, yeah, yeah, no, we should applaud. You're all like, wow. Oh, you have little faith, Dan. But you know how that happens? God does the thing and you're still like, oh man, I don't even know, I don't know. One of my favorite parts in the Bible, we'll talk about this in the coming weeks, this will be for next week, but, but um, Jesus rises from the dead and he appears to all these people. And then of Matthew says that they saw the risen Jesus and some fell down and worshiped him, but others doubted. Which tells me that even after God does the most amazing of miracles, doubts can still rise in our hearts. So what do we do? What are we to do with the doubts? What are you to do with the doubts? The the first thing I just want to say about this in our series is simply this. When we have doubts, we ought to go to God with our doubts. We ought to bring God our doubts and say them. We're We're not a group of people who are good at talking about our doubts. So to tell God about our doubts, to bring him our doubts and to say, God, I do believe, would you help my unbelief? I I looked at that card this week and I said, God, I do believe, would you help my unbelief? I heard that phone call and I said, I do believe, God, would you help my unbelief? And I think all of us praying this prayer all the time, asking God, would you just help the parts of my heart which find it so hard to believe? You never know what God's going to do with faith that is seeking him, even though we may doubt. More to come on this next week, but here's how I want us to leave today. Um, just four, four really quick questions that I want you to think about. Um, I wonder, what are some things that you've changed your mind about over the years? I'm sure you've got some things that you used to think this way about and now you think this way about. But, but have you ever changed your mind about God? And what was it that made you think about that? Was it some sort of crises? Was it some sort of like lack of power that you had? Was it some, some situation that God hadn't done anything yet? Or maybe God did do something and changed your mind about it, either to positive or negative. Just have you ever changed your mind? How, how do you handle your doubts? Are you the type of person that just likes to stuff them down and bury it? Or are you the type of person that just you doubt and so you just grab onto that doubt and you say, I can't believe. And so you, you just wholesale believe your doubts. Or maybe you handle them a different way. Where could you invite God to help you overcome your 
unbelief? Is there a doubt in your life right here, right now, today, which God is kind of bringing from the subconscious level to the conscious, that you could just ask God, God, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? And would you see what God does when you just bring your doubts? And I want to start that process with us right here, right now. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And I'd love to close in prayer here and say, God, we, we know that even prayer is an act of faith. And so we come to you today just asking for some of us who are in situations and crises in our lives which have clouded our faith and, and doubt has risen and it's been surfaced. And so, God, we don't want to be the type of people who try and solve our doubts on our own, but we want to bring them to you because you're the one who can help our unbelief. Thank you that this is a church where it's safe to have doubts. Thank you that we're amongst people here today who don't have everything together and we all are like the disciples, try to do things in your power, but sometimes we can't do it. And so we come to you, we just say, God, would you help? We know that you can. So would you help us believe that you can? And as we walk this out, God, we ask that you just give us a bigger picture of who you are so we can know you more. Thank you.